good, everybody. Welcome to episode number 66 of the Gold Standard Podcast, part of the Niners Nation Podcast Network. I am Rob Stats Guerrero alongside the man, the myth, the legend, the human wet blanket, Levin Black. What's up? It's like a compliment and an insult all in one. Yeah, that's like a summary of the show just in the intro. Uh, If you're new to the show, you get the hot takes about the 49ers, mostly from me, and you get the cold truth, mostly from the human wet blanket, Levin Black. We want to remind you, as always, please rate, review, and follow the Niners Nation Podcast Network. We always say, if you take the time to leave a review, we take the time to read it. Which brings me to this one, Levin. One of the best reviews we've ever had comes from Northside in the South. Five-star review, great network. First, let me say this is a great podcast network. Not sure what a fat voice is, but I find all the hosts to have pleasant voices and interesting takes. I moved to the South nearly 20 years ago and missed going to Candlestick with my dad. But last week, I bought him tickets to the Jacksonville game. And on my way down, we listened to this network. My dad was so hyped to hear all the Niners talk. He said it felt like driving up to Candlestick on Sundays and listening to the radio. Thanks for that. Let me just say, thank you, Northside in the South. That is an incredible compliment. And we are honored. And we are so glad that you enjoy what we do. And thank you for the rating and the review. God, that's what, like five hours of our network straight? That's kudos to that's you. dedication right there. You know what? That's that's what we hope for, right? We want everybody to listen for that much. Tell a friend. That's what I would say to that. And uh, this other review, five-star great podcast, comes from Hellcat AK, who says, by far my favorite 49er podcast, Robin Levin, give the real fan takes. They give praise, but they also criticize when it's warranted. Keep up the great content, fellas. Um, I just want to also thank everybody on Twitter that has reached out, you know, the Spotify, um, I don't know what you call it, but basically like they tally up your podcast listens throughout the year and people have been tweeting them out and sending them to us. And it's, it's really humbling to see that so many people have taken so many hours of their life and shared it with us. And I, that's not something I take lightly. And I want to say thank you to everybody and, uh, we won't let you down in the future. Yeah. Some of those people had, uh quite a few hours on there it's kind of astounding to me still that people actually want to listen to my old man voice (laughs) as someone said you sound like you're 60 years old yeah he was shocked i wasn't some old guy sitting here but no it's a big deal like and there's a lot of 49ers podcasts out there and there's a lot of competition for your time not just with pods but with everything else that you can do and uh, we really appreciate it and uh, we're going to keep working hard to try and live up to that standard and to make sure that we're still worth your time. So with that said, let's get right into it, Levin. Uh, 49ers Seahawks week, always a fun week, always a big week. This feels different than other Seahawks weeks. It feels there are not many times when I look back at the history of this rivalry where going into the game, it decidedly feels like the 49ers are the better team, the team that's playing better at the time and the team with the brighter future But all of that is true right now as we head into this game in Seattle. Yeah, Seattle's reeling. I mean, they're breaking apart. We talked a little bit about that in the instant reacts, that it feels like that is a team that is split, that there are two sides. There's the Russell Wilson side and there's the Pete Carroll side. It just seems like you have a leader of that franchise, the face of the franchise in Russell Wilson, making it very obvious and clear He wants out, doesn't want to be there, and it has affected every single person 
in that franchise. And I mean, for years, it was Russell Wilson rescuing mediocre coaching. I mean, we've talked about it. A lot of people have talked about how the Seahawks have made some questionable coaching decisions. The Pete Carroll's defenses haven't been very good in recent seasons. And it's just been Russell Wilson, hey, go out there, run around it, and then throw it to somebody. And this year, it's not working. Russell has been uh, injured some. And just in general, they seem to be completely out of sync. Now, I agree with all of that. But I still don't feel as comfortable as some people, including people on this network, feel about this game. And maybe I'm scarred by the fact that Russell Wilson is 16-4 and against the 49ers lifetime, if you include the playoffs. Maybe I'm scarred by that. Maybe I'm scarred by the fact that even when the Niners were really good with Jim Harbaugh, they would go up to Seattle and get their brains bashed in. Like, the Seahawks have pushed us around in that stadium a lot, even when we have really good teams. And I know things are going great right now, and they're rolling, and the run game is rolling, and the defense looks better, and Jimmy Garoppolo has – well, he's still Jimmy Garoppolo. But you know what I mean. I still don't <laughs> feel like this is going to be a blowout win for the Niners. I think this is going to be a one-score game. I think it's going to be one of those kind of edge-of-your-seat, living and dying on every possession type of games. Am I alone in that? No, this, this is a game – I don't know if it'll necessarily be close. It's a game that I have no idea what's going to happen. I would not be surprised no matter what happens. I'm not going to be surprised if the Niners go in and beat them because of everything I just said about where Seattle's at as a team. I wouldn't be surprised if it's close. I wouldn't be surprised if the Niners go in and lay an egg because that's what they do in that stadium. And the Seahawks are due for a get right game. You know, uh, Russell made the statement that they must get DK the ball after their last game, and normally when a quarterback says that about a wide receiver, it means there's a big game coming for that receiver, and I don't like our matchups with DK Metcalf, so that worries me if he's going to be making it a point to get DK the ball. You know, sometimes it's just stupid like that, where a team is out of sync because they're not concentrating on the right thing, and once they zero in on, hey, we got this dominant physical type of guy, we're going to get him the ball as much as possible. Oh, look, we put up a bunch of points. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) So I I wouldn't be surprised if Seattle suddenly looks like Seattle again, at least offensively. Now, defensively, that defense, I said it before the season, the defense was terrible. And that's why I said Seattle was going to finish last in the division. And they're almost assured of that at this point. But it's still Seattle. Like that stadium, if they get to Jimmy early, Jimmy could fall apart. You know, he was falling apart early in the last game and then he rebounded. It's Seattle. It, it It's hard to play. If they put it this way, if they start out well, it's going to be really hard for the Niners to come back because the crowd will get into it. Because that, that, those fans, that fan base hasn't, haven't had anything to cheer for in what? I think seven weeks now because they had their bye week in there with the five game losing streak. So they, they are thirsty for a, you know, feel good start cheering type of game because they, they've been nothing, especially offensively lately. You just mentioned something that I want to get into because I feel like there are a couple of narratives coming out of this Vikings game that I don't necessarily agree with. And one of them is the Jimmy Garoppolo narrative. Oh, he struggled early, but then he bounced back. I don't know if that's necessarily true. He struggled early and then he didn't play like ass for the rest of the game. But that was it. I don't think he was ever, like, great. I think he just stopped being miserable. I and mean, he was terrible. Yeah, he made 
He made two big boy throws. Yeah, his two that he, he makes he made every two game. Really, really good <laughs> throws, and and then he was he was pretty decent the rest of the time. He was that overall means you're pretty good. I mean, quarterbacks aren't perfect. I think after the first quarter and a half, he played really well. He just played really, really, really bad in that quarter and a half to the point that I was thinking if they don't get points on this final drive in the court in the second quarter when they had the ball with eight minutes to go, I was thinking like if they go three and out, and especially if there's a turnover, I do not see Jimmy remaining in the game because Kyle was visibly upset with him. You know, he talked about that, that it was a really bad turnover and the offense just had not done a thing. And I do think that Kyle was getting ready to pull that trigger at halftime until they had a great drive to finish the half and they were set up well with getting the ball to start the second half. Well, think about this. They're driving down the field in that second quarter. It's third and eight and they run this ridiculous trick play pass to Jawan Jennings, who then is thrown all the way across the field to try and hit a scream to, I think it was Elijah Mitchell on the other side, and it just didn't work at all. The the Vikings were totally prepared for it, and then they get bailed out because it was a holding on George Kittle on the play, and so they got a first down, uh, and it was actually second and 20 on that drive after that, which they eventually were able to convert and obviously get the touchdown. But when I saw them come back from commercial on Fox and you see Kyle Shanahan and he's giving it to Jimmy Garoppolo. Now, he's got his play sheet over his mouth, and they're kind of behind him, so you can't see what he's saying. But you know what you can see, Levin? You can see the giant vein in Kyle Shanahan's neck that looked like it was about to explode because he was undressing Garoppolo on the sideline. And you can tell because Scangarello, the quarterback coach, is sitting next to him on one side, and somebody else is on the other. I don't even know who the hell it was. I can't remember. Nobody is looking. At Jimmy Garoppolo, and nobody's looking at Kyle Shanahan. They are staring straight ahead or off to the side because Jimmy's getting undressed, and and Jimmy just looks at him. And then after Kyle walks away, Jimmy does like the where he kind of like rolls his lips in and like closes his mouth. Like Jimmy knew he knew that he stunk, and he knew that Kyle was right to rip him. And he did play better than he had played after that. I didn't think it was particularly great, but it was good enough on a day that the 49ers just that sequence in the second and third quarters where they get 21 straight points and Minnesota ran three offensive plays in a 10 minute period. And one of them was an interception that swung the whole game. Right. And I think the way I I would summarize it is if the Niners start this game, like they did against the Vikings, I don't think they win. That is the recipe for the Seahawks to be able to win. You know, I, I, I think, if you allow them to get out to a lead, the fans are going to get into it. The crowd's going to get loud. And maybe even more important, that Seahawks team is going to finally get confidence back because they clearly, like I said, are out of sync. They don't believe in themselves right now. That's what happens when you lose five straight. So I do not want to see a slow start because if they get down 7-0, 10-0, I, I don't like the chances. I agree with you. I, that's what. That's why I mean, like, I don't, I don't know what this game will be. I think the Niners will win, but I would not be surprised if they get their butts whooped. I mean, this is almost like the Arizona situation, that second game. So many people are just discounting Seattle. You know, it's for different reasons because Seattle's been terrible, whereas Arizona was not having Kyler Murray. But I feel like they're discounting them, and it's not exactly warranted. Like, Arizona was still a pretty good team, 
with Colt McCoy because Colt McCoy is not completely horrible and the team is really good. And I think this is a situation where the Seahawks still have some talent there and they could find their groove at any time. I, I don't think it's an easy win. And the Niners have some issues that they got to be dealing with too. So it, it's not the Niners team that we've seen the last three weeks because of the people that, who aren't going to play. And we'll get to some of those Niner issues, but you mentioned one thing there and I, it sparked an idea for me that I had wanted to mention on the show. It feels like these two teams have switched in a way. There were a couple of Niners Seahawks games where you felt like the Niner fans were ready to get on the team early. Like you said, if they come out and they get down early, the home fans were almost ready to turn on the team. Well, the Seahawks have gotten booed at home this year multiple times. We've seen it in prime time. They've gotten booed at home. The fan base is ready, I think, to let loose with some of their frustrations and anger about sort of the end of this Pete Carroll, Russell Wilson era. So that just means the Niners have to come out strong, come out early and get up. And then I honestly, I think you're going to see the fans kind of turn on Seattle a little bit. And that home field advantage is going to kind of be weakened a little bit. Yeah, it all depends on how the game starts. That That is extremely important in a situation like this. That's always extremely important when you're playing against a team that has such a home field advantage. You know, it's the same way in Kansas City. You know, Kansas City, you can't let Kansas City get out to a good start because that crowd is incredibly loud and it makes it really hard for the opposing team to then communicate and makes just everything harder. And that's the way it is in Seattle. And like you said, I, I think it's all the frustrations of the last decade for the Seattle fans are just kind of bubbling up. You know, it, it's hard to say that they should be a frustrated fan base because they've been winning every year, but they have been not winning Super Bowls every year like they thought they would. You know, the, the interception in the Super Bowl, there's frustration still lingering from that. You know what I mean? Because it's never, it's never been exercised, so to speak, because they've never made it back. And then you have all the years where they win 10, 11, 12 games. They go into the playoffs and they get they, they get beat. They don't even make it back to the Super Bowl. That, that's very frustrating to be a playoff team every single year and never make the Super Bowl. Look at Green Bay Packers. You know, how frustrated would the Packer fans be if they were 3-8 this year? You think that they would be turning and booing? Because it's a similar situation where the quarterbacks made it pretty clear he wants yep. out. And it's a situation where they've been winning a lot of games in recent years, but they haven't won the Super Bowl, and there's frustration from that. And you do hear that from both fan bases, that they're frustrated they only won one Super Bowl in that era. I mean, Aaron Rodgers is criticized for it. Yeah, Aaron Rodgers has kind of had the opposite season of Russell Wilson. He's the guy that ripped his team in the offseason, but he's come back and handled his business, and the Packers are obviously looking very good right now in the NFC, whereas things have gone the complete opposite direction for Russ and the Seahawks. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, you mentioned some of the issues the 49ers have right now. We're going to get into that, and I have one specific question that I want to ask you about the offense without Debo Samuel that I think is critical to whether or not the 49ers win this game. Back here on the Gold Standard Podcast. All right, Levin, let's get into the elephant in the room. Debo Samuel, not going to play. He has been a critical part of the 49ers offense in these during this three-game win streak. The specific question that I want to ask you is, where does the big play come from for the 49ers? Because I firmly believe, and I think Kyle Shanahan believes, that they cannot win this game unless they get some explosives, as he calls them, on offense. Last game, it was Debo's 49-yard run that was the big chunk play. 
In week 11, it was Brandon Ayuk had a 34-yard catch. In week 10, it was Debo with a 40-yard catch. If Debo is not there and the 49ers are going to get some explosive plays, who's going to provide those plays for them? Travis Benjamin. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, Kyle keeps bringing him up like, dude, no, we're all set with Travis Benjamin. I, I, I do. Well, that that's part of my point and why I went there. Ayuk has to step up because this is a game that he's got to be a true difference maker as a wide receiver. And what I mean by that is the defense is going to be able to concentrate on him because the problem is the Niners don't really have another outside receiver. You know what I mean? Like Juwan Jennings has done a lot of damage in the slot. Um, and it's not like Juwan uh, Jennings has been dominating either. He's made some good plays. He's scored some touchdowns, but he hasn't been like a, a really good third receiver. You know what I mean? He's He's been decent. He's been developing outside. Like it's probably going to be a lot of Travis Benjamin. Like who's going to play outside? I mean, Travis Benjamin, you're pinning your hopes to Travis Benjamin. Yeah. Look, whoever it is outside. That, well, that's my point. Like, whoever it is outside, you can't count on. Ayuk has to be able to beat the coverages rolling to him because that's what's going to happen. The coverages are going to be concentrating on Travis or <laughs> concentrating on Brandon Ayuk. And I also think that Kittle needs to step up. I've mentioned it. He has not been a, a big difference maker uh, this season in the receiving game. And that's because defenses have really concentrated on him taking him out because I think the the philosophy for opposing defenses is if Kittle gets going, you have no chance. Whereas if you shut Kittle down, you have a chance at stopping the offense. You know what I mean? Like if Kittle gets going, everything opens up. And that's not to say Kittle is playing poorly. I think it's just defenses are really concentrating on him and he's still been great as a blocker. So it's not criticism towards Kittle. But he does need to be able to do something here because IU can't do it alone. So now we've reached the other narrative that I disagree with. And that is, and I've talked about it, and Javi and, and Leo talked about it on Tuesday. They mentioned Kittle specifically as someone that has to step up. To me, the answer is obvious. It's not the tight end or the receiver that needs to step up. It's your quarterback, man. It's your quarterback. That's the obvious answer. When your star goes down, you have to put more on your quarterback's shoulders to make up for it. The elite guys in the league shoulder that burden. That is part of what comes with being a franchise guy. You have to elevate the talent around you regardless of who it is. Sometimes it might be Jawan Jennings and, and friggin' Travis Benjamin. Like The obvious answer is Garoppolo has got to step up. He's got to give you more than just two to three really good throws a game. He's got to give you three, four, five throws a game, big time throws in tight windows. If you're going to win this game, when your stars are out, I don't think Kyle has faith in him to do it. I don't have faith in him to do it, but I think it's crazy that we're sitting here talking about a tight end that has to step up when in reality it's on 10 shoulders. In reality, if you really want to get to the, to the meat of the situation and say the obvious answer, it's if the Niners offensive line can dominate in the trenches like they have been. Because if that run game is effective, they'll be able to do enough in the passing game. But if the run game gets shut down, they're screwed. That's the simple truth of it. The Niners have to be able to run the ball. I mean, that's true even when they're at, at full strength with Debo. They have to be able to run the ball for everything else to work. If the run game gets shut down, 
I do not see the Niners offense doing much of anything. And I thought it was interesting when the Niners did start slowly against Minnesota, they were kind of passing the ball and then Jimmy struggled. He threw the pick and what did Kyle do? Boom. Immediately to the ground game. Like I, I think he's got to come out in this one and reverse that start with the ground game and then go to Jimmy Garoppolo. I do think it's really interesting how little they've used the play action in the last two weeks. It is not, there has not really been a ton of that. They've been running the ball well, and they've been using the shock, the shotgun to, to pass the ball down the field. The play action, mm-hmm. which has been like a Shanahan staple has not really been utilized the last couple of weeks. And if you, told me that I never would have believed you because the offense is kind of built to maximize plays off play action. It's actually been that way for three or four weeks now, pretty much since uh, coming out of the bye week. And I talked about that when they did it, that, that very first uh, win after the bye week, when I think Jimmy only had two play action pass attempts that whole game. And I think Kyle made a realization that he can't just keep running his offense. He needs to make an adjustment to his quarterback. And part of the problems for Garoppolo was that he couldn't read the defense quick enough because he has to waste an entire second with his back to the field so that he can fake a handoff and then turn around and read everything and get rid of the ball super quick before the pass rush gets there because his happy feet would show up otherwise. And I think they've simplified that, given him more time to read the defense before the pass rush can get there so that he doesn't crumble when he starts to get pressured. I think that's an adjustment Kyle made. He, Kyle, he has said many times over the last few years that, you know, his system is his system and the quarterback has to be able to run it. I think with the losing streak this year, Kyle finally kind of swallowed that idea and decided I need to adjust and make tweaks still run generally the same system, but make some tweaks to make it the best for my team and my current personnel. And that's what he's done. And wow, would you look at that? The offense is suddenly doing stuff when (laughs) you coach it to fit your players' abilities. The other thing I want to mention, and it's something that I sent to you earlier in the week, and it has to do with Kyle, I think he made a pretty big admission this week, to be honest with you. He doesn't reveal... Yeah, I got glossed over too. Yeah, I, I agree with you he doesn't reveal too much about his own thinking and how he calls plays and how that works because he knows that's sort of their secret sauce. But he was asked about how he's basically gone completely away from Trey Lance and completely away from the two quarterback package. And essentially what he said on Monday was it screwed him up to put Trey Lance in the game because his, the way his mind works When he put Trey Lance in the game, the defense would do totally different things, and Kyle would almost have to reset his thinking because he would have to adjust to this totally new defense, and he wouldn't be able to kind of predict what they were going to do, so it made it tougher on him in terms of calling plays. I thought that was a massive, massive admission because what it said to me, Levin, was essentially he's not going to use Trey Lance going forward because he doesn't want it to screw up his rhythm. I thought it was an honest answer from him and a big admission that he said even he didn't see coming when they drafted Trey Lance. To me, it's a it's a big thing because he full on outright, no question, admitted he has no idea how to call plays for a running quarterback. That that is what he said. There's no like trying to look between it to figure that out. He literally said that when he has a running quarterback in there, the defense plays different, and he doesn't know how to attack it when they're playing against a running. Basically, he's calling plays 
that he would normally call, but they don't work because players are in different positions in playing with different responsibilities because of the running ability of the quarterback. And it was throwing up his spacing and where his plays would go and getting guys open. And we saw that guys weren't getting open in the start that Trey Lance had. He was having to do a lot of scrambling and holding on to the ball. And that's Kyle literally admitting that the defense plays completely different with a running quarterback. And he doesn't know the plays that will beat that. Now, can he learn that in the offseason? Yeah, but I think that is a massive admission that he's, he is saying right now that he would not be a good play caller for Trey Lance. I read it a little differently. I read it as if Lance was in there from snap one to the end of the game, he can adjust and deal with it. But to put him in in certain spots, he, he can't predict how the defense is going to react. And, and so to me, what it showed was the way Kyle's mind thinks and it it made me think of like a train on a train track right like early on you know it it takes a little while to get up to full speed it takes time you know you don't go from zero to 60 in two seconds he's kyle's got to see the defense he's got to see what they're doing he's got to see the fronts that they run the coverages that they run and the more plays that that kyle runs on offense the more third downs they convert and the longer they stay on the field the better kyle gets at predicting what they're going to do what they're going to be in and how they can hurt him to the point where when they get up to full speed, they're friggin' unstoppable, which we've seen with their, with their drives this year, 13 minute drive, 10 minute drive, 11 minute drive. When he gets humming, he's unstoppable, but it takes him time to get up to full speed. And when Lance is in, it kind of like resets the speed. It takes him back to zero miles per hour. That was my read on it. But I thought that that was interesting because it kind of, it shows what we've seen, right? Like when he's in his bag, man, he's unstoppable. Like they do whatever the hell they want to on the field. It's just how long does it take him to get to that point? So when they're not converting third downs early and they're going three and out, he can never sort of get going. I get that point. But the simple fact is if he knew how defenses want to play against a running quarterback and how to attack that, then it wouldn't be an issue. But he doesn't know because he doesn't have that much experience with a running quarterback. He does not know how to coach and basically counterpunch a defense that adjusts for the running quarterback. And I would argue a little bit that when he when he was swapping back and forth, was Trey Lance not effective when they were doing it in the small little batches in the first couple of games of the season? Did it not work? I mean, Trey Lance had, what, three touchdowns early in the year off doing that? It was effective. I think it's he was talking more about when Trey Lance truly played. He just didn't know how to do it, and so he doesn't want to put him in the situation where he's going in only to run because it's not really worthwhile because defenses know that's what's going to happen at this point because they've run it enough this year to know that's what's going to happen. And passing-wise, he doesn't know how to adjust. Lance has been in in short yardage situations and in the red zone. And like you said, he's been very successful. But one of the surprising things to me this season, Levin, is that the Niners as a team have been very successful in the red zone. They're converting close to 80% of their red zone possessions into touchdowns. Like the first time that they got in the red zone and didn't score a touchdown this season was in week five when Trey Lance got stopped at the one inch line in that Cardinals game. Up until that point, every time they got in the red zone, they scored a touchdown. That may be where we see the Debo effect most is now that he's not there in the red zone, you know, where do they go? If, if Kittle's going to get doubled, can Ayuk get open? 
Maybe they can hit Elijah Mitchell on some screen passes and get him into the end zone that way because this Seahawks defense has been terrible defending screen passes all year long. Um, so I don't know, but I'm amazed at the red zone success of the team this year, especially because that's an area where Kyle Shanahan has struggled, not just with the 49ers, but even with Washington when he was there and really throughout his tenure as a play caller. Right. And this is, this is a game to me. You're going to see if any of these other wide receivers are worthwhile, whether any of them have earned a spot in the future with this team, because if none of them step up, you know, obviously a couple of them will be brought back for training camp, but I would certainly be looking for a true third option in the off season. You know, if Sanu was healthy, it'd be a little different story. I think Sanu was doing decent. He had some drop issues, but I think he would have been capable of filling in that outside spot for Debo. Um, but there's really just not much depth there, in my opinion. It's Debo, it's Ayuk, and that's really about it. Nobody else is worth writing home about at this point. I do like Jennings' potential, but at this point, would I say, oh, yeah, he's a good, reliable third third option? No. I don't I don't think you can say that. He's had a couple of big plays. He's had a couple of touchdowns, but he, he hasn't put up great numbers for a third option. You know what I mean? Like, I, I think people are a little jumping a little too much onto that train and just assuming that he's arrived to a certain extent. And I think he really hasn't. He, he's a fourth or fifth option still at this point. I agree. Injuries create opportunities for people. Uh, and I think that Jennings has earned an opportunity here, and I think he's going to get it in this game. Kyle has spoken very glowingly about him after games and press conferences. So I think he is the guy that I think the Niners are going to lean on a little bit more this game and say like, hey, okay, let's see what you can do. But yeah, you can't have just, you can't just pencil him in as a guy in that role. We don't know. We, we, hopefully he can, and hopefully we see it this week, but we're not sure. Um, one other area that I want to get into, Levin, that I think could be a potential issue, not only in this game, but has been a potential issue many times this season, and we saw it last week. The special teams for the 49ers are atrocious. They are hideously bad. Just look at last week, okay? The 49ers score a touchdown with 18 seconds left in the second quarter. Like Everyone's going crazy. It's great. They score. They're going to get the ball back in the third chance to really take control of the game. And what happens on the kickoff? They allow the returner from Minnesota to get to the 40-yard line. The Vikings had all three timeouts, and the defense had to stop them from getting in position to kick a field goal. What should have been just an easy final kind of 18 seconds, take it easy, just kneel it down, whatever, get to the half, turned into a, like an actual effort because the 49ers coverage unit couldn't stop the kick returner, all right? They give up the kick return touchdown in the third quarter. That's obviously hideously bad. And there were multiple point after touchdowns that were nearly blocked in this game, like very close to being blocked. And then Robbie Gold, at the end of the game, Niners drive down the field in a beautiful clock-killing drive, 12 plays, 72 yards. They take 7.08 off the clock, which is essentially half a quarter. They get in position to kick a field goal, which would have put them up 11. Again, would have made the last, you know, two minutes of that game just a leisurely exercise because the Niners would have been up two scores and it would have just been a nice, easy, salt away the game kind of a thing. And Gold gets up there and he misses the kick and he opens the door for Minnesota to come back and tie this game up. The special teams for this team are a problem. I've been talking about Robbie Gold 
since the offseason. How it was a terrible re-signing, how he's getting paid like an elite kicker, and he stinks. How even the one he made, the 46-yarder, he doinked off the upright and it went through. Robbie Gold is an issue for this team and the special teams as a whole. And in games that you should win, Levin, big-time special teams plays can shift the momentum in a big way. And if Seattle wins this week, I bet you there is a big special teams play that affects the game. Well, they definitely need to make some adjustments when it comes to kickoff coverage because they've been giving up returns. Um, I don't know if either one of uh, the kickoff guys, because both Gold and Wisnowski handle kickoffs depending on what they're wanting to do. But if either one of them are capable of booting it out of the end zone, just freaking do it. Most teams are doing that these days. They just kick it out of the end zone because there's no point of giving them a chance to do something. You know what I mean? Like, I I don't get it. The Niners always seem like they're trying to kick it to where the guy receives it like three, four yards in where he's tempted to come out. It's like, I don't want them to try to return it. That's like an instant game flipper, you know? Like, why even give them the chance? Make them score driving 75 yards every single time. Just give them the 25-yard line. That's what the defense is built to do. The defense is built to not allow big plays and force you to have to do that. If you give up a big kick return, you just throw that right in the furnace, basically. Yeah, so I, I think they need to make adjustments on the kickoff. Kicking, there's not much you can do. The kicker is the kicker. I mean, what more do you expect from a guy named Rob? All right. That's <laughs> unnec- That's an unnecessary <laughs> shot at Rob's. What the hell, man? I won't stand for that slander. What the hell? Did you think you could just slip that past me? I mean, you don't even go by Rob. You go by stats. It's such a terrible name. Oh, that is <laughs> terrible. What a ridiculous. That is the worst statement you've ever made on the pod. I swear. Gotcha. Completely I don't even what the hell your point was. God. <laughs> No, Matt, how dare you? How I mean, dare you insult us? I mean, there's a reason. Like, how many Roberts go by Rob? So many of them go by Bob or something else. That's why I'm great. You know, I stand out from the rest. What can I tell you? I don't go by Robbie. I hate Robbie, by the way. I can't believe that's what he chooses to go by. <laughs> why couldn't he be like Bob Gold, right? That'd be a good Bob Gold, the kicker for the 49ers. It's beautiful, right? No, but he goes by Robbie. Terrible, terrible, <laughs> terrible. And we gotta, we're got to we stuck with him next year, Levin, because uh, he's yeah. got a fully guaranteed contract. Yeah, I'm aware. But there is, there is one big elephant that we haven't talked about yet. That's Fred Warner's now playing. Like that, that's That's huge to me. You, you got a, an offense in Seattle that has been horrendous. Like, they literally have not done anything. Like, they have been as bad as the Niners' offense was early in the year. Seattle has been <laughs> worse lately, which is amazing no, considering you're... who the quarterback is. Like, they've been horrible. And now you take Fred Warner out of that defense. You got uh, Aziz sliding in there. He's going to have to call plays. Like, that's not an easy adjustment. Like, I think that's been glossed over this week that, Getting that green dot is very difficult to adjust to. We saw that when Fred Warner took it over from Foster when, you know, Foster did what Foster did. Warner struggled when he and he admitted that in that offseason that it took him time to get used to it because instead of him being able to kind of have his time in between the play, settle down, all that, he's having to get the play call right away. And then he's having to get everybody grouped up and give them the play call. Like it, it, it is a change, and I think not enough has been made of that, that there could be defensive miscommunications 
um, and issues like that because you got somebody that's not used to getting the play calls, having to get the play calls, and oh by the way, he's going to have to play a different position than normal. You know, he's he he's played really well, but it is different. And then on top of that, you're taking the best linebacker in the league out off the field. Like that is a huge bonus to Seattle and a chance for them to get going. I agree. It's a big loss. I think you could see Russell maybe scramble a little more because of it. It's one thing, you know, for us to take off if Fred Warner's lurking in the middle of the field. It's another when it's Aziz Alshire. Now, Aziz is very fast and Aziz has played great this year. But you're right. It's a different job. And the thing is, too, like the so everybody else on defense, you know, they hear the play from Aziz. And then they're thinking in their head, okay, let me let me read my keys here. What's my guy doing? What do I need to check? What are the offensive linemen doing? What are the receivers doing? Is anybody in motion? Where's the quarterback looking? Everyone's kind of going through their pre-play checklist. But when you're Aziz and you're the guy getting the call, you have to, one, hear the call in Seattle, which is difficult enough as it is. Two, relay the call to all the teammates. Make sure everybody's lined up right. Like, you don't get your kind of pre-play checklist to go through because you have this added responsibility you're right it's a it's not a small thing um and you're right about the seahawks offense too by the way just for context they got shut out against the packers and that was russ they scored 13 against the cardinals in a loss and they scored 15 against washington in a loss so in three games since russ has been back they have scored 28 points that is really really bad and that's what I'm hoping for as a Niner fan. Give me one of those 15-point performances. That'll be just fine by me. Completely agree. That That's my scare going into this game. You know the talent they have on that sideline. They have two ridiculously good receivers, and they have one of the best quarterbacks in the league. And yet they have been one of the worst offenses in the league in recent weeks. And it's just a matter of time. You know what I mean? Like when you have a quarterback like Russell Wilson, it's just a matter of time till they fix it. Just like the, you know, Patrick Mahomes issues earlier this year. It's just a matter of time before he started killing everybody again. (laughs) And, (laughs) and I'm worried this is going to be the get right game. The troubling aspect for me is Kirk cousins was a quarterback that plays very well in the structure of an offense. If you could get pressure on him or if things didn't line up perfectly, he was not going to be a guy that was going to be able to hurt you. Whereas I think Russ is the kind of guy where he's like, you know what? I'm just going to drop back and chuck this thing up to DK or I'll chuck it up to Tyler Lockett or I'll make a defender miss and run around and we'll hit somebody on a scramble drill. The weakness of the 49ers secondary comes against guys like that. Like we saw with Carson Wentz earlier this season where he just drops back and he's like, screw it. I don't even care if there are two dudes there. I am chucking this thing up and letting my guy make a play. And the 49ers secondary has been hideous in ball in the air situations when guys are willing to just throw it up there. And I think Russ is willing to do that, especially when the offense is struggling anyway. So that's where I think the 49ers are a little bit vulnerable. You know what worries me and where the Niners are vulnerable? Josh f***ing Norman trying to cover one of those receivers. <laughs> that's that's what it is. Like, let's be honest here. If the if the Seahawks get right in this game and put up some points, it's because Josh Norman is going to get his butt whooped. Like, I, I Josh Norman is the arrogant type of physical corner that I see him when he matches up with DK going, oh, this is my chance, and he's going to try to manhandle DK, and he's going to get his <laughs> butt whooped by DK because yeah, yeah. DK is so much bigger and stronger than him. Like I, I and faster. 
I, I've literally had this image in my head for the last couple of days thinking about the game of literally Josh Norman coming up, trying to press DK, and DK just tossing them aside, and then DK <laughs> streaking down the field by himself. Well, let me ask you this. If that happened, obviously you'd be upset, but, like, I wouldn't – part of me wouldn't be mad because, like, Josh Norman kind of deserves it. Like, he doesn't realize that he's Josh Norman and he's over the hill and that he really – is lucky to be in the league at this point. Yeah, he was that way. Even in his prime, he would try to get physical with these bigger wide receivers. Like it was some kind of like ego trip where he had to prove he was the stronger man. And it's like, dude, they have like five inches and 30 pounds on you. <laughs> You're not going to win this. Yeah, it's that's he makes me nervous on every single and he gives up yards and catches or he gets a penalty or both every single game. Like people think that he forces one fumble and then all is forgiven like that. No, no, that's not how it works. He could force three fumbles in this game. If the 49ers don't get any of them back, he hasn't done anything. So he needs to be good at his actual primary job, which is supposed to be covering people and stopping completions. You know, it's so bad that when they snap the ball, if he's in frame, I watch him at the snap to see <laughs> if the receiver destroys him because we we saw that in the, in the uh, in the play last week where he got the uh, penalty for pass interference against Jefferson and Jefferson still caught it and then oh by the way uh, Norman jogged after him didn't even make a full effort to try to track him down and luckily uh, he got pushed out by one of the safeties but what happened was he tried to press him and Jefferson juked him out of his shoes I mean, and so all Norman could do was literally try to grab his jersey and hang on for dear life it looked like you know like a little kid trying to grab on to their dad's, you know, shirt as he's, you know, proving that he's still got it, you know, as dad's whoop on their little kid. That's what that play reminded me of. Cause Norman was just like totally falling flat, going to fall down. And it just reached out in desperation, held him. And Oh, by the way, still got completed for a big game. Like they didn't even accept the penalty because he got more <laughs> yards. Well, you're right. And I think I saw Kyle Posey point this out during the game. Like what, makes you think if you're Josh Norman that you can jam Justin Jefferson at the line of scrimmage. Like Justin Jefferson is just destroying people, making people look silly for over a year in the league. And you think you broke ass Josh Norman are going to go up and jam him at the line of scrimmage. Like when he sees you up like that, here's the thing, Josh, he's happy. He's licking his chops to see you right there. Cause he's like, I'm about to dust this fool and get a big play josh norman has always always been right up there with the biggest ego in the league since he came into the league that's why he thinks that you know he he had those plays even in his prime like even in his prime he would occasionally have these plays where he came up tried to press somebody got beat because norman was always a slow corner and got embarrassed and then he would normally lash out and try to fight the right wide receiver when he got embarrassed. <laughs> Let's be honest here. Like I, I hated Josh Norman long before he came to the team. And now that I have to watch him get his butt whooped wearing the red and gold, I hate him all the more. Like yeah. he, he is one of my least favorite players in quite some time. It's just frustrating to see some sort of deficiency on the team, whatever it is, every single week. And every single week when Josh coaches not to do anything about it, that's what really drives my gears. It's not necessarily what Norman is. If a player stinks, he stinks. 
I wasn't angry at Dre Kirkpatrick because the team stopped playing him and then cut him. Norman keeps playing horrendously. He's starting. And after the game, they go, oh, I believe in him. Oh, no, he played pretty well. Oh, did you see that forced fumble? Like, I believe in him. I'm like, no. What, what, are you, what are you watching? Like, what kind of delusional setting do you have in your mind to think Norman is doing well? And when you play against the Jags, you can deal with that, right? You can you can get by. But when you're playing against teams with DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett or Jamar Chase and T. Higgins, like they're going to face in Cincinnati, or maybe potentially against the Houston, uh, the Tennessee Titans, A.J. Brown and Julio Jones, if they're back from injury, which we don't know, like Norman's going to be an issue. So just brace yourself for that. Uh, before we go, Levin, Give me your final score prediction for this one because Kyle and Akash were like super confident. I think they predicted like 31 to 10 or something like they predicted a blowout comfortable win for the 49ers. I am not there. So where are you? I don't think it'll be a very high scoring team or game. I don't think either team gets to 30. Like I said, like I'll give you a score prediction because you're asking for one, but I don't know what's going to happen in this game because I still don't fully believe in the 49ers. I still sitting here going, mm, there was that team that didn't show up and now they could be getting overconfident because they've won three straight. And at the same time, I still look at Seattle and go, yeah, they played horribly, but I know that talent's there and I know that team's still capable. So it's hard for me to really give you a score, but I'll, I'll say Niners 24 to 17. Yeah, I think it's going to be right in that window, honestly. Um, I don't think it's going to be a blowout either direction. I don't think Seattle is playing well enough to get their stuff together to, to blow anybody out right now, but they can definitely win the game, especially if it's close Russ at home. Even last week, he played like ass for most of the game, but on that final drive, he went right down the field and stuck it in the end zone. So uh, I'm thinking it's probably going to be more like 24, 20, 24, 21, that kind of a game. I'll pick the Niners to win but I, I will never, ever, ever feel confident going against the Seahawks, particularly in Seattle. So forget that. I'm going to be nervous this entire game. I will be absolutely puckered up watching the TV, just praying, just give the ball to Elijah Mitchell every play, please, and we can work down the field that way. But I'll take the Niners in a close game. I'll 24-21 will be my final score prediction. That's going to do it for this edition of the Gold Standard Podcast, part of the Niners Nation Podcast Network. Again, please keep your ratings and your reviews coming. We are so, so grateful to have them and to read them and that so many of you have spent so much of your lives in 2021 listening to us. Mostly, I'm going to take credit for that and say that you were just tolerating Levin when he was talking, but we're grateful nonetheless. Don't forget, you know, I, I'm kind of disappointed because I said a couple of weeks ago that Rob has to read them. So you can literally throw an insult <laughs> at him and he's going to have to read it, which will be a delight to me. So please somebody go give us a five-star review and put in like, let's come up with something else. You know, somebody said, Rob sounds fat. Let's come up with something else <laughs> along those lines. You know, let's just create a list here and make them read it. I will read it. I read the good <laughs> and the bad. Trust me. I'm that's fine. If you take time no, to leave no insults review, towards me. Well, we got, I'll, I'll make, I, I, maybe I'll just, have to just be forewarned. I am much more likely to go hunt you down on Twitter 
and, and come back at you. Not that I'll come back at you like with anger or anything, but I might find you and start throwing insults your way. <laughs> <laughs> he is on Twitter at LT Black Niners. I am on Twitter at Stats on Fire Instagram as well. You don't have an Instagram, do you? You are no. such a square, man. You got to be hip, man. That's where the kids are no, at. No, it's not. Um, I'm not a square. I just don't have an interest in it. It's, I don't know. I've always, I'm weird. Like Facebook, when I was a freshman in college, like it, it just calm out. Like by the end of my freshman year of college, people were starting to talk about it. But at that time, it was only capable of being able to got, getting into if you had a .edu email address and only only if facebook had added your college to the list of ones that were capable god we're old (laughs) yes and i remember my freshman year i was at a small school still playing sports at that time and we had like a group of us that emailed them saying please add our school please add their school our school was called manchester college right at the end of the year we saw manchester on there we're like oh my god they added it it was the manchester in england um <laughs> yeah that's um, um but then i transferred to a bigger school mac conference and i remember it was literally in my first week of classes and it just hit me like wait i'm at a school of twenty thousand students now they might be on there and i went and signed up now i tell that story because ever since doesn't matter what social media it has been i have been way late to the game because i just don't want to deal with another one it's just it's like work almost, you know what I mean? I know that I'm going to get on it constantly. So I don't want to add another one to it. It took me years to get to Twitter and I wasn't even dedicated to it. When I was a journalist, I had one, I didn't post a whole lot. I've deleted that account and I created this one a couple of years ago. I don't want to do Instagram because I know I'm going to go and start spending hours on it every freaking day. So I just avoid it, even though I know right. it would be better for me if I joined Levin doesn't care enough about you, the listener, to provide you content on Instagram. That's what you just heard in that that long story. Let, let, let's put it this way. Three months ago, the social media manager for SB Nation and Niners Nation said, hey, what's your Instagram so I can get you added to our list? And I was like, I don't have one. And I still haven't created one. <laughs> there you go. Thanks. Thanks for trying. That's all I'll say. Plenty of uh, material for you and your reviews there in that story from Levin Black. But thank you, everyone, again, for all the support. We really do appreciate it. We will continue working hard to earn that support. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you to everybody that's been jumping on the Instant Reacts. We've been getting a ton of comments and views and downloads from everybody on those. Thank you. Enjoy the game this week. Hopefully in a fourth straight win for the 49ers. Regardless, win, lose, or draw, we will be here for you on Sunday after the game. Check us out and go Niners.